Welcome to FF Plus, a new spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. Here you will find a little bit of everything, from what's been entertaining us, to trailer reactions, industry hot topic conversation, and even film award predictions. We hope you'll enjoy this addition to the Feelin' Film lineup and join us each week. Now, on to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of FF Plus. We've got a pretty packed show for you this time around. We hope you've enjoyed uh, what you've listened to so far the last couple of episodes. And I know that we're enjoying doing what we're doing, getting a chance to talk about stuff from around the world of movie-related whatnot. In this episode, we're going to be talking a bit about a few movies, and then we'll dive into talking about some exciting news in the world of projects by a couple of our uh, favorite directors. And then we'll finish up with a little bit of trailer talk with the latest Spider-Man trailer coming out to give us a little tease. So without further ado, we'll go ahead and kick it off with movie reviews. And Aaron, I'm going to kick it over to you, man, because you got to experience this movie. Uh, I haven't had a chance to do so just yet, but uh, you recently got a chance to watch the latest M. Night Shyamalan feature, yep. um, Glass. And uh, why don't you give us your spoiler-free thoughts? Yeah, I think us, like everybody else in film circles, generally were pretty excited for Glass. I mean, I will say that my personal interest level was not as high as some others, um, probably primarily because... While I thought Split was very solid as a thriller and sort of a kind of return to form for Shyamalan, especially um, with the unexpected kind of tie-in at the end to Unbreakable that got me very excited, I still had – I didn't think Split was fantastic. I didn't think it was like the best you know thing he's ever done by far, and I didn't think it lived up to Unbreakable, like not even close. Um, and for me – Going into Glass, I was a little nervous because the thing that I didn't like about Split, Patrick, was the beast. <laughs> and and now I loved McAvoy's performance. I love seeing him go through different personalities as Kevin. But when he turns into the actual beast, that was not my favorite part. And I understood that Glass might be giving us a lot more of that. And so I was a little reluctant. Well, I got to tell you, I, I guess I'll just come out and say, man, I have never... Not never, but I have rarely been as unengaged and completely angrily bored as I was in this movie. There's a difference between something like this that I would say is boring and something like Jurassic World 2, where I actively disliked it because of the plot and the way that it was being handled, but visually I was at least engaged. Because, you know, raptors, they're there. This is the kind of film that is is so slow. And it's unlike his previous slow burn thrillers where there's not a lot going on. It's clunky storytelling. And frankly, the only way I could put it is it felt like a piece of self-congratulatory work. Where he's zooming in and doing insane amount of close-ups for uh, all these different characters as they're explaining things to you in kind of comic book terms. So whereas his first two films are kind of like on, you know, subtly relating and dropping these comic book hints, Glass comes at you and throws it at you with exposition, exposition, ex exposition. 
Very little is revealed that we didn't already know until the ending of this film. And then when it does end and it does get a little bit exciting, it's really the twist itself is pretty great. I, I like the way that the story unfolded, but my problem was the execution. It, it was one of those kind of endings where it wasn't earned. And because of that, it left you more upset about it than it did satisfied. And Overall, I mean, I left the film, along with quite a few of the critics that were with me, upset. I mean, I was upset like that this is the ending of such a, a great trilogy or, or a trilogy that had such great potential for it to close out this way. I just I did not feel the characters were given, you know, what they needed and what they deserved. And I I think it's very bad, uh, to be honest with you. And I will never watch it again. I have zero desire to ever see it. Um, I'm just grateful that Unbreakable still exists because it's an amazing comic book film and one of the best ever, regardless. Yeah. I think on social media you were asked with your review uh, how you felt about Shyamalan as a filmmaker in general. And I know you mentioned that, um, and I might be paraphrasing, that he's kind of hit or miss with you. And it seems like with this trilogy that was kind of a surprise trilogy, it, it it's one of those where your while your expectations were not met, it sounds like by any means, it's not surprising because we've gotten the highest of highs with M night in terms of his popularity. And we've got the lowest of lows. And I remember particularly when I think it was, uh, the, was it the visit, not the visit. Yeah. His horror short, his kind of independent horror film that came out. That doesn't help that there's several that are independent. Sorry. <laughs> so the visit, so, the visit is, is two kids going to see their grandparents. Yeah, that's the one. Okay. And, and that's the one that I remember was in my mind, his comeback movie. When the visit came out, there was such high praise for it. And I remember reading about how he talked about getting back to his roots, getting back to just being a great storyteller. And while I never saw the visit because horror is not my thing, I did see split. And I remember that kind of, iterating his ideology of saying this is a great movie about just great storytelling good idea good execution and yet now we get that kind of okay what do you do with that how do you take this iteration of glass and make it just as compelling as unbreakable and just as interesting as split and just like his earlier movies and what his later movies attempted to do, I don't know that he could go any further because I felt like Split was a great movie. It's a great psychological thriller uh, for someone who enjoys kind of understanding what it, that kind of multiple personality, that reality that could be something that exists and how it he created sort of a horror thriller behind it. I liked it a lot. And when you combine that with a movie like Unbreakable, which wasn't my favorite, I mean, I'm kind of in the minority of people that give it such high praise. It was fine. It's a, it's a well-filmed movie for me. I like, I really enjoyed the way it was shot and the overall story was good. I don't know and didn't really feel like I wanted to see glass. Like I didn't, I didn't want that iteration. I didn't need that last teaser at the end of split. I liked what I got and I didn't need the tie in to, um, to what would eventually become glass. And so I was not really interested in seeing it. And for different reasons. And so I'm, you know, grateful that, that you kind of went to bat for both of us and that it didn't necessarily make the, the cut for our, for our schedule. Well, let's move on to something that 
made us very happy. This was a double feature that you and I were looking forward to, I guess, since the end of the year when it was announced on Fathom Events. Uh, last year, the DC Animated Universe gave us the death of Superman based on the popular comic from uh, a number of years ago that really shook up the DC Universe when we... If you were following comics, I was not at the time, so I didn't get to experience this firsthand. But if you were in the world of comics at that time, you got to experience literally a year without the Man of Steel. There was this big, massive event uh, where Superman takes takes on Doomsday and Man of Steel actually loses his life. And so we're faced with the aftermath of what that looks like. And we got the first part of that last year that I did not get to experience. And when I found out about the Fathom event talk, uh, that came around where we were getting the death of Superman and then the upcoming release of the follow-up feature, The Reign of the Superman, that was right up my alley to get caught up. And I got to tell you, Aaron, spoilers. The only spoiler I'll give you is that I was not disappointed. This absolutely exceeded my expectations, both of these movies in and of themselves. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the death of Superman first and foremost. Now you'd seen this last uh, last fall, last summer and, came out last, last summer, summer in okay. 2018. That's correct, right? And uh, and so this was actually your second time seeing it. What was the theater experience like for you? Because you'd seen this kind of in home release. This did not get a theater release at all. It was obviously straight to video. How did this differ from your actual first time viewing? Well, it was a lot different. First of all, the theater itself, being seeing it on a big screen is incredibly preferable and i loved it i loved having the experience of seeing it that way with big sound and big visuals i was a lot more engaged than just sitting on my couch watching it at home i think when i watched it the first time it was kind of on a whim it got released i just i'd never heard of it i mean i, I knew about the storyline but i didn't know the movie was coming i just found out about its release right when it happened and so i was like oh i'll watch this um and i did i went in with zero expectations and i enjoyed it quite a bit. And so this time I went in knowing I enjoyed it and I was able to kind of take it in already knowing the story and not being surprised by things. And so I caught a lot more nuance in it that I didn't the first time around. And so that was great. My theater itself was completely empty for the most part. I would say there was maybe a dozen people there and we were already in a tiny theater. So it was, it was really just not packed at all, which is kind of unfortunate. I got a an email from Regal Movies and Slash DC after the film asking me to do this uh, quiz or not quiz. I'm sorry, fill out a survey. So I went through the survey um, to find out what they wanted to know. And it was asking specifically about, you know, how do you feel about these releases? Would you go see more DC animated films if they were released in the theater? Which ones do you want? They let us put in our recommendations, things like that. And that made me a little hopeful, but the numbers and the turnout were really unfortunate. Because I just, I don't know, it doesn't seem like it made a big splash with people. I don't know that marketing did a good enough job of getting it out there that it was going to be out, you know, on Fathom Events or hit or miss with people as it is. I think if this was given like a natural theater release somehow, it would be a lot different. Um, but yeah, I loved the theater experience personally, um, even though it wasn't a packed house. Yeah, it was the same way with me. I'd actually gotten there. Just after the movie had started, you and I were talking offline a little bit, and I'd mentioned how I was en route, running a few minutes behind. This was the one time in my 
movie going experience where I wanted trailers so that I could, you know, get into it. And unfortunately, I did miss the first few minutes of it, but got caught up and was able to kind of get acclimated to what was going on. And like you, my theater, my theater was not packed by any means. I don't think even if this had gotten a regular release, it would have gotten that much of a response from its audience. I mean, the fact is, Warner Brothers animation is second to none when it comes to really great storytelling and really great adaptations. But even in that, it's still a niche market. Like this is not big blockbuster, wide audience of people that want to go see this stuff. And watching it in the theater was pretty fantastic. Yet at the same time, I was still watching a cartoon. And this felt small screen to me. It felt like it didn't have that impact of a big blockbuster. Even though we're dealing with the Man of Steel, even though we're dealing with a huge event, the DC animated universe is not one that I personally would enjoy all the time on the big screen. I would enjoy it in any capacity. The storytelling in and of itself is great, but I don't know that the theater experience would have been like, wow. It wasn't like back in 2015 when I got to experience the Back to the Future trilogy in the theater, back to back to back. That was amazing because those movies are meant for the theater. And we've had conversations like this in our Facebook group, how a theater experience is driven by the movie itself, like like Get Out is a movie theater experience or Interstellar, you know, where you'd like having that massive screen just surrounding your eyes. Titanic is another great example of experiencing movie in a theater because you're you're actually just absorbing everything about it. Death of Superman, Reign of the Superman, I could have could have been given or taken with my 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 experience had it been released at home versus in the theater but i love the fact that it got the theatrical treatment because it made the importance of the story to me that much cooler and of course it's no secret that superman is my guy and there aren't a lot of movies centered around him at least not successfully done we got christopher reeve uh, man of steel with henry cavill's been is fantastic to me, you know, with the exception of kind of a lengthy third act. So when I came to see that the death of Superman was coming to actual like big screen, small screen period, you know, screens period, I was curious as to how that was going to be adapted. This is actually the very first comic book I read. The very first trade that I bought was the death of Superman and subsequently funeral for a friend. If you guys aren't familiar with the actual story, this encompasses an actual like trilogy that was written. The Death of Superman, and then Funeral for a Friend, and then Reign of the Superman, or The Return of Superman, uh, which in, that's what this whole story encompasses. So these two movies cover all three of that trilogy. And I didn't realize that I hadn't read the third part of the trilogy. I thought it was just a two-parter, but I guess I didn't read it clear enough when I first gotten around to reading it. So getting a chance to experience Reign of the Superman for the first time as a narrative was just as cool as getting to experience the death of Superman in a, uh, in a film setting. And one of the things that I, I pulled from this was that Superman's a hard character to write for. He's a hard character to care about. He is a God among men. He is an alien. And what do you do with a character that 
can't be beat, that has really no sense of vulnerabilities. And I thought that this first installment, The Death of Superman, did a lot to help us connect with the human side of who Superman had become in the form of Clark Kent, especially in dealing with his relationship with Lois Lane. I mean, that's a huge part of his mythos is how he and his relationship with Lois are uh, fleshed out. And, and I love that the movie centers around that to give us some weight, knowing what's probably going to, to take place later on in the movie, you know, how he dies. Yeah. Well, this is my first experience with it. So I didn't know what was happening other than what I know from Justice League and the live action universe. So I knew he was going to die. I knew he was going to come back in some form or fashion, obviously, because that's what Reign of the Superman is about. But I didn't know anything about the second half of this story. I also didn't know how Doomsday factored into the death of Superman as much as it does. I actually retroactively went back and watched another animated film called Justice League War, which I highly recommend and I told you to watch and seek out before you went and saw these two, because it does tie directly in story-wise with the Justice League kind of coming together and forming, and then the Justice League plays out in Death of Superman. I really enjoyed that. It kind of retroactively made me dislike the live-action Justice League even more because I realized now why fans were so upset i understood when they got mad about superman coming back and being this dark evil thing compared to what he is in the comic book i had no basis for that but now i do and i can i can be empathetic to to their plight here on how that was portrayed um just with regards to the justice league coming together i love the dynamic of all of all of the different characters in this film um, I love all of the voice cast. They're fantastic. You have Rosario Dawson playing Wonder Woman. You have Nathan Fillion as Green Lantern. The lines feel very natural for each one, um, very much on point with what their character would be acting like and talking about. And for me, Death of a Superman was phenomenal the second time around. I mean, it was right. I don't know where I put it, but it's probably my third favorite comic book movie of last year behind Infinity War and Aquaman. Yeah. That it is for me. That's crazy that I'm saying that about a Superman movie because Superman's never been my guy. But I fell in love with the character during this film. I had so many connecting points during this movie. And I think that's what you were saying is it's there's such a great emotional focus in this story between Clark and Lois. The whole thing revolves around will Clark reveal himself to Lois? Like that's the big driving factor that goes all the way through Death of Superman. It just happens that, you know, of course, there's going to be a villain that wants to take over the world and come kill him, and that that's going to complicate things. But the point is, the question is, at the heart of the film, will he reveal himself or won't he reveal himself, and what is that going to mean? And I like that all these different characters give him input. Um, it, it's a very sweet relationship that we see between them. I just really enjoyed it and, and grasped onto it in a big way. And then I love the way that Doomsday is handled in Death of Superman. He, there's like a 20 minute sequence of him just destroying things and the Justice League having virtually no shot against him. Like he's just completely wrecking them. And again, I thought back to BVS and the complaints that people lobbed up against that movie when it first came out about how Doomsday was handled. And now I can understand them because I was like, wow, this is, this is a little different. Um, and so I, 
loved it, man. I, I loved it. It is probably my favorite iteration of a Superman story since Smallville. All things considered, as far as Superman-centered story, it's my favorite thing since then. I love that the death of Superman in the theater experience versus the one I saw um, on video on demand last summer had some awesome post-credit teasers that tied it into Reign of the Superman. It was like post-credit, you know, scenes that gave you a little bit more info and pushed that story forward. It, it was just so well done. I came out of death of Superman, Patrick, ready to go buy a Superman pop. That tells you how much I loved it. And I'm glad, and I hope that while I'm in Seattle, that would be something that you do. And not for me, for you. That would make me even happier. The thing that I really enjoyed about this first installment, more than anything else, was that portrayal of the Justice League. And oftentimes, when we think about DC, we think about brooding, we think about dark, and we don't feel like there's a lot of levity. And I feel like the Justice League interaction, there's a particular scene when they're basically having a meet, meeting minutes, it's like they have a club, you know, it's the, just, it's the league, you know, and they have their own thing. And there's this great conversation where we, where whatever is being talked about gives the Flash and, and Green Lantern, the two kind of comedians of the group, a chance to add some levity to an otherwise kind of serious situation. And I think that's necessary. Not that everything needs to be hilarious, but that in a universe where brooding is kind of the leading factor, we need the ability to to see a little bit of humanity, see a little bit of lightheartedness among the characters. And I really felt like Green Lantern and Flash in particular brought that to the story, which they do in the comic as well. But that's who they are. They weren't made up. I mean, this is exactly who... who Barry Allen is as the Flash. He is just kind of all over the place, quite literally. Yeah. He's also got that that great sense of humor. It's one of the reasons that I really enjoy him. He's my number two in terms of, of favorite DC characters is that he has that kind of optimism, but that sense of humor that, that I connect with pretty well. So let's move on to Reign of the Superman. This was both a first-time watch for, for both you and I, uh, first time experiencing this story as a whole. And I got to tell you, if you say the death of Superman is your favorite Superman story, this is probably my favorite Superman story. At least wow. that well, you got to tell me why, because I may fall a little bit differently than you on that. So okay. I want to hear, I want to hear you. I want to hear why it resonated with you. So if it's difficult to tell a Superman story, it's probably even more difficult to tell a story in the absence of Superman about Superman. And I felt like the reign of the Superman was a response to Maybe a world that was tired of the same old Superman stories. And so in the world that these uh, four individual Supermen are living in, they all come from different motives. They all come from different origins. But in some way, shape or form, they seem to emit a piece of who Superman is, either in by perception or by reality. And I really enjoyed the fact that we got four different iterations of what the man of steel could be, you know, if he were taken one way or he were taken another. And what's great about a story like this is that it has the opportunity and took that opportunity to create offshoots. Like once this story was completed, we then got a couple of solo titles after that. One guy named steel, who was one of my favorite Superman 
Uh, we got Superboy that came came out of that. But I love the fact that the story centers around four individuals from different motives, but who are trying to do the world a a solid in their own particular way. Not necessarily being altruistic, but they all come across as saying, "We want to be our we want to be Superman in a way that is interpreted by us." Which is, I think, what a lot of writers do. They say, okay, here's Superman. How am I going to write a Superman story that's not just the same as the guy that came behind me? And I feel like Reign of the Superman, with the absence of Kal-El, gave the writers and gave the narrative a chance to breathe and say, hey, what if? What if the world looked like this? What if the world took on the characteristics of Superman? How would that get manipulated? How would that get misinterpreted? And what we get are four individuals that I think articulate that really well. I agree with the concept. I love the concept. I love the idea of it. Of course, again, I had no idea what Superman meant when I came into this. I did. I was completely coming at this for the very first time. I already know who Steel was as far as his alter ego. Um, so that one was not really a shock for me. I'd, I'd known that from the comics somewhere. Um, but what what I struggled with some was the squeezing in of so much stuff in this movie. These are, you know, 90 minute tops animated films that move very fast. And where for me, death of Superman was a lot of emotional context, a lot of character development, and then a massive ending battle and some really powerful emotional climactic, you know, funeral scenes this one was trying to introduce all of these new characters, trying to get us to understand them, to connect with them, and then having to resolve the actual Superman coming back or being resurrected and then dealing with these different characters and, and figuring out, revealing who each of them may be or may not be, and then having your big battle. It was just a lot thrown at me. It was messy. Now... It's funny because, you know, when I saw Death of Superman for the first time, I told you it was not as good to me. It was good. It was very good, but it was not, like, mind-blowing. So I'm wondering now if I was to watch Reign of the Superman again, would I have a much better experience with it because I understand what's coming? I think I would. I think I would know the characters are there. I would be able to focus in on each of their character development and not wonder what's coming next because I would already be able to kind of know that in in advance. And so I'm hoping to revisit it soon uh, for that very reason, because I didn't dislike it by any means. I really enjoyed the film. It is great. I just, I just struggled some. Um, and then I also had major issues. There's, there's issues I had with the fight scenes at the end. There's some awkward sub science going on and inconsistencies in space that are happening throughout this film with people breathing or not breathing or being sucked out or not being sucked out that just didn't, it felt like laziness in the writing wasn't very tight there, but overall, man, I thought it was really great. And I think one of my favorite things about it was honestly, there's a part of this story that deals with everyday people being given the choice to assume a power to help others at the cost of kind of giving themselves over to it and not being in control of themselves anymore. And I found that really fascinating. Uh, to explore that, you know, the, the idea that you were doing it altruistically for good reasons. You genuinely 
wanted to step forward and help the world and you were sacrificing your own independence in order to do that. That's an interesting idea. Um, and you know, and, and, and how that plays out is very interesting in this film. So I, I did. I really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed it enough that I came home and I started watching this new cartoon called Young Justice. It's not new. It's old, but it just came back for a third season after a big hiatus. And it has Superboy in it. So I was all excited because I was like, I know who that is now. <laughs> well, I'm glad you walked away feeling good about it. And I think at the very least, Reign of the Superman helps to pay off a couple of big arcs that uh start in the death of superman and i think that's pretty that's pretty incredible too that it doesn't feel like two separate stories it feels like a definite continuation i wanted to just point out rain was is available to buy now digitally so it is out there you can purchase it right now on voodoo i don't know where else it's available digitally but it is available on voodoo to be purchased right now and it will come out on blu-ray january 29th death of a superman is already out there on vod and blu-ray already i believe now it's time for what is in the news. All right. So in the last couple of weeks, we got a couple of big announcements from a couple of our favorite directors. Uh, first up, Christopher McQuarrie announced this last week that he has signed on to do two more Mission Impossible films. That'd be Mission Impossible 7 and 8 if you're playing at home. And they're going to be shot back to back and released in 2021 and 2022. All right. So the first thing I want to ask you, Aaron, is, is this going to be the beginning of the end of the Mission Impossible franchise? I mean, I fully expect that it will. I'm anticipating an Avengers Infinity War slash endgame scenario here where we get a two part story. Um, and it's basically Tom Cruise's swan song. I mean, he's going to be in his 60s by the time these films come out. I he, Yes, he's a physical specimen. We all know that. Um, he never ages, but he can't keep making them forever, right? I mean, in theory, I guess he can't, but, I mean, he's proven us wrong so far. He is far. Lestat, so maybe yeah. he's <laughs> interview with the vampire guy. He's just not going to ever die. Maybe but so. But that's, that's what I expect from him. I, I'm pretty excited about it, to be honest. It, the only... You know, there's there's a little bit of a reserved feeling because up until this point, Mission Impossible series is, what are we, six movies deep now. Macquarie has two of the six. But up until Macquarie, every single film had a different director. And that was really cool because it gave each story its unique vibe to it. However, Macquarie's two films are arguably the top two or to top two of the top three. So... We know that they're good. We know what he can do. We know how much he and Tom Cruise love working together and crafting the new stories in this universe together. So by that token, you know, having him kind of close it out with the last half, four out of eight films, I, I'm on board, man. I really like what he's done so far. Yeah, I think Mission Impossible as a franchise, just like fast and the furious has evolved and if what's best for the franchise is to stick with a director and a creative vision that's going to finish out the ethan hunt arc that's carried itself through six movies so far i'm i'm all for that as well i mean i know that the formula has been get a new director get a new vision but for the most part even with new visions with the exception of the the woo installment we've been pretty consistent with ethan hunt i mean we've gotten some 
three was uh was a bit different but ironically three is the movie that gave us the start of this arc that has sort of finished itself off with his relationship with his his wife and um learning how to be a part of this kind of mission impossible family so i think having quarry at the helm is a is a good thing i however am not necessarily on board with the fact that he sacrificed an opportunity to go work for warner brothers and in particular helm a man of steel superman sequel whatever you want to call it um in favor of doing movies like this i was gonna agree with you prior to this podcast recording and then just today mcquarrie was asked some questions about that actually he wasn't asked he was kind of attacked in a way by some rabid dc fanboys that give the rest of us a bad name about him bailing on dc in order to continue making mission impossible movies he actually responded to this guy and this is what he said he said the stories you're reading are not accurate that's all i can say you should really assume nothing anything you hear or hope about dc is horse poop if you're not hearing it from me so i guess we can't be mad about that Patrick. okay i guess we really don't know the truth of what was ever actually on the table or not and i think that's understandable because you know and dc fans have gotten a bad name for this but there is there's a reason you know there's a reason that there's been a large uproar of like, oh, DC wants McQuarrie to cast blah, blah, blah and do a, you know, he's going to take on Henry Cavill and run with it and do Superman movie because they have a relationship now. Understandable, like fan casting. But when we fan cast too much, I think we might kind of like he said, we assume. Um, and there was never anything on the table, according to him. And so we can't really be too sad about it because it wasn't necessarily going to happen. Anymore. OK, well, then then I guess I'm okay with that. But in terms of dreaming and knowing that he's such a great director and he has such a great relationship with Cavill, I, I don't know who I would want to be in the director's chair who doesn't have those kinds of relationships. I mean, the reason why, one of the reasons why we like the fact that he's doing MI is because of that collaborative relationship he has with Tom Cruise. And we know that he has that same kind of similar relationship with Henry Cavill. We know that at least from what we gather, again, we don't have the insights to these people. We think Cavill's still on board with being our man of steel. Um, I guess it's just me wanting to see Snyder's vision of who Superman is come to fruition because I know that his story is not complete. And, you know, as, as someone who loves the Cavill interpretation, the Cavill iteration of, of Superman, it's one that I think in my own personal heart, deserves to be told. It's a story that deserves to be told. And who better to do it than Macquarie? But I'll probably say that about somebody else in a month when it's announced that this other director is going to do a sequel. At that point, I'm just going to be like, I don't care. It'll actually happen. Uh, yeah, maybe it's... It's happen at this point. Yeah. Well, speaking of other directors, we also had an announcement that one of our favorite directors, Dan Trachtenberg from 10 Cloverfield Lane, is attached now to Sony's Tom Holland-led Uncharted Adaptation as its new director. And I got to tell you, Aaron, I'm not a fan of the Uncharted series, not because I don't like it, but because I've never played it. But the fact that Dan Trachtenberg is doing a video game movie adaptation really excites me. Well, it's definitely exciting to me, and I am a fan of the Uncharted series. In fact, it's one of my favorite series of all time, and Tomb Raider both. So I got my live-action Tomb Raider movie with one of my favorite actresses last year, so that was cool. 
And now I'm going to get my Uncharted movie coming forward. At least we've been hearing about it for years now. So I'm hopeful that now with Dan attached, it's going to continue to move forward. I love this, love this, love this. So for those that don't know, Dan Trachtenberg got his start in a lot of podcasting. He's actually done a podcast, a gaming podcast with Jeff Kanata, who's one of the hosts of the Slash Filmcast now. And go, they go way back. And there's some video that he actually posted from a podcast um, that they had done, I don't know, 10 years ago or something, where he was talking about his dream project would be to one day work on an Uncharted movie. And then here we are 10 years later, and he is getting it. And anytime a director gets their passion project, I'm completely interested in it because you're going to get the best possible effort from that person. And you know, it's coming from their heart. You know, it's going to be real. And that just is something that impacts and resonates with me. And so when it's something like this that I am hopeful will be great, but nervous about because it's a video game adaptation, knowing it's in the hands of someone who's a gamer himself, who loves the series himself and understands the gaming aspect of this. I, I just, I don't know that it, we could have had any better person in, in charge of it. So I'm super hyped now. Well, and he's gotten a little bit of a test ground in his directorial uh, of the uh, Black Mirror episode playtest, which is one of those that it's, it's definitely horror, but, plays in that world of VR and, of course, inside the tonal world of what Black Mirror is all about. And if that's the level of quality that we're going to get in terms of, you know, a gaming world, then I'm all for it. Well, and he actually got to start directing way back several years ago doing a short film based on the Portal video game. And if you haven't seen that, you can find that on YouTube and it's phenomenal. It made me yeah. want a Portal movie because that's another one of my favorite games. And so... That's how I found out about Dan yeah. um, in the first place and got excited about him prior to 10 Cloverfield Lane and then Playtest. So I, I like everything he's done. Um, so bring it on. I'm ready for that Uncharted movie to drop tomorrow. Absolutely. Hurry Tom up, Dan. <laughs> bring it! You know, And, uh, you know, of course, Tom Holland's going to be a part of that. And speaking of which, we had a new trailer drop. And so, of course, now it's time for... Trailer Talk. The teaser for Spider-Man... Far From Home dropped a couple of days ago, and I know there were a lot of collective squeeze from the pop culture world in getting excited about that, and there was also a collective groan from a number of people because the big divisive thing coming out was, why are you showing us a Spider-Man trailer and we haven't even seen the outcome of Endgame yet when we know something happens to Spider-Man at the end of of Infinity War. Why are you ruining our lives? First of all, before we get into the actual teaser, Aaron, what are your thoughts on that? Do you are you on either side? Do you care? I'm definitely on a side, and I'm going to say right now, even though this is a spoiler-free podcast, we're talking about the trailer obviously. If you are avoiding the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer, turn us off right now. Here's your warning because we're going to talk about the trailer and what happens in the trailer, and I'm going to talk about what has been said in interviews by Kevin Feige, this is known knowledge. This is out there in the world. This is not hidden stuff. This is, you know, this is not spoilers to me. So we're going to talk about it. And I'm just giving you that fair warning out of the goodness of my heart. All right. So, Patrick, I loved it. I've got no problem with it. I would equally have no problem with waiting for it. I knew going into this 
trailer that Kevin Feige has spoken out and said that Spider-Man Far From Home is going to be taking place after the Infinity War in-game double. So, yes, we know that character's coming gonna gonna survive whatever happens. In some capacity, he survives. Okay. I don't think that's a big deal. All right? I just don't. Personally, I think it's because I've read enough comic books in my life to know that the journey is what it's about, and we've talked about this on our Infinity War episode. It's not necessarily about who lives or who dies. Yes, we want stakes, and we want the movie to create that sense and that feeling in, in us that someone could be gone forever. But we want that also knowing full well that these characters come back all the time. That's how comics work, Patrick. And when we live in a world where your movie schedule is announced four or five years in advance, and we know these characters have sequels coming, you can't fool us. It's all about telling us the story and making the journey worthwhile anyway even though we know how it may end for one or two of those characters in advance. So because of that, I had no problem seeing this trailer and knowing that Spider-Man is, is going to be okay. For me, seeing Endgame, it's more about like watching his journey to get to this point. How, how does he get to where he is in Far From Home, where he's not wanting to take the suit with him? You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a there's a Quentin Tarantino-esque-ness to this, where we know the ending and we want to experience the journey. You said it yourself with, regards to the death of Superman. That title in and of itself is a spoiler. Superman's going to die. We're not really concerned about the outcome. We're concerned about the journey to get there. How is it going to happen? What's going to take place? How is it going to affect him? How is it going to affect the people around him? And I think what Spider-Man Far From Home does is, one, it creates consistency with Spider-Man Homecoming. So if even if Infinity War and Endgame didn't exist, we're getting this consistent continuation of his story we're getting these reintroductions to his friends to his life with aunt may and all that stuff and that's what i think is great about it is that teaser dropped us right back into the world of your friendly neighborhood spider-man but this time he's going on a trip to europe with his friends which is what he says i just want to go on a trip to europe with my friends and of course what happens all heck breaks loose nick fury shows up and now he's got to be dealing with mysterio and all this crazy stuff that's happening I will tell you, when it comes to Mysterio, I don't know anything about the character, and I'm torn now because I don't know if I want to learn about the character prior to the movie, or if I want to let the movie be my experience with the character. The only thing I know, I know two things. I know one, it's Jake Gyllenhaal, and I love Jake Gyllenhaal, and I have ultimate confidence in Jake Gyllenhaal pulling off a great villain in the MCU, because he's Jake Gyllenhaal, and he just doesn't fail for me so that excites me i'll say three things number two i love the helmet whoever mysterio is whatever he does and i don't understand fully yet i freaking love that helmet the character design of him is just flipping awesome to me what i do know and that's my number three thing here is that i read somewhere about mysterio having some kind of like essentially he's able to manipulate and create illusion type characters I don't want a ton of villains in this movie. The one thing that concerned me about the trailer is I saw, like, some sort of water thing fighting Spider-Man and, you know, some sort of, like, rock thing or whatever. There was just, like, multiple types of villains, I felt like, and I don't like that as much. I like it when stories try to keep things pretty contained. You can give me one, you want to push it and give me two really 
tight villains, kind of like Black Manta and King Orm. In Aquaman, that's about my limit. But if you start throwing different villains at me, what was it, Spider-Man 3 style? Yeah. I, I get overwhelmed. So I need Mysterio to be the key. Now, if he's the reason for those other things existing, I'm all for that. That's cool. I can handle that. So we'll have to, that's, that's, that's yet to be seen. I, I really enjoyed Homecoming quite a bit. And, um, I love that this trailer just showed us more of that same fun Spider-Man tone. And I'm excited for this one. Me too. I, I think the two things that I'm kind of looking forward to from a character development are, uh, his and MJ's relationship, this new iteration of MJ. Love, love, love their chemistry. And also there's this little hint at Happy and Aunt May. What's going on there? I'm kind of asking that same question that Peter's asking, like, what just happened here? Because I'm going, yeah, I'd like to know what's going on here. I, I think that's going to be pretty, pretty phenomenal. I like the lighter tone. I like the fact that in some ways, the, this iteration and the last instance gave us a sense of self-awareness. Like we're kind of along the journey with Peter Parker exploring this craziness that is the MCU that we're living in. And getting a chance to experience it from from Tom Holland's point of view is pretty fantastic. I, my hype level is not up there like it was with Spider-Verse, but that's not a negative. It's still pretty high up there. So I'm looking forward to that. really am. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for us. We appreciate you guys listening. Be sure to stick with us over the next probably week or so as we're going to finish up Director Month with Weeks 3 and 4, bringing you Titanic and Avatar. And, of course, next week a brand new episode of FF Plus. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.